here today on this Thanksgiving weekend. So happy Thanksgiving weekend, everyone. Now, if uh, we have any junior, senior high in here right now, feel free to run, to uh, almost said run out, but some of you are very literal. So I would say to uh, slip out and uh, join David in the fireplace room for uh, your class. But it is now officially the holiday season. Now, you know what that means, doesn't it? Fruitcake, yes, the fruit cake lady right here, fruitcake. What else? Christmas stuff, I heard, something like that. Yeah, anybody else? Family. Let me give you a hint. Christmas music, Christmas carols. Yeah, you're free to now listen to all the Christmas music you want, to your heart's desire. You don't have to hide in a closet. You don't have to keep it off social media. You don't have to sneak around and listen to it. It is officially the holiday season, so you can listen to it as much as you want. Some of you already have been and have no, have no respect for proper seasons and started in October. So I, I, I don't know, I don't know, but uh, <laughs> anyway... Let me ask you something. When you gathered around the Christmas, or uh, Christmas, I'm rocking around the Christmas tree. When you gathered around the Thanksgiving table for a Thanksgiving meal this week, or maybe you had Friendsgiving earlier in the week or whatever, let me just ask a simple question. Did you say grace? You did? You said grace? Good. Good. Is that something you typically do anytime you sit down for a meal? Good. Before you're halfway through it? So we'd have to say something like, um, Lord, bless this food we just ate, even though our prayer is late, or, I mean, you can, okay, okay, read, <laughs> I'm getting way off track here. Anyway, lately, our two-year-old grandson, Drew, um, has really gotten into saying grace, you know, when it's time to eat, pray, pray, and then, so we'll all pray and say grace, and then, you know, two minutes later into the meal, pray. Pray, and then he'll do that half a dozen times throughout the meal. You just got to stop and pray every time. And I, you know, that's, it, it, it's cute, and I'm thankful that he's being raised to um, uh, be thankful. Uh, and, uh, um, uh, yeah, I'm glad that he's, he's raised to be thankful, because that's a good thing, isn't it, Ra- being raised to be thankful? Thankfulness is a good thing? All right. That's why we have the holiday. Okay. So... <laughs> Okay, some of you know, how, how many, let me just ask this, how many know who my favorite actor is? That's not Clayton Moore, although he was a marvelous actor. Okay, Jimmy Stewart. Jimmy Stewart is the all-time greatest actor ever. Now, who do we all know Jimmy Stewart as? George Bailey from It's a Wonderful Life, the best movie ever made, bar none, right? Especially in the black and white version. None of this polluted color stuff. Go, go for the original, you know? Okay. But it wasn't... <laughs> but, but it wasn't... It wasn't It's a Wonderful Life that made me a fan of Jimmy Stewart. It was a movie called Shenandoah. Anybody ever watch it? I remember watching that as a kid on an old black and white TV, 
And I only saw the very end of it. I saw like the last, you know, 20, 30 minutes or something of it. Uh, oh my gosh, that was so good. I wish I could see the rest of it. And I waited for years before Netflix. You know, there was a time before Netflix. There was a time before Hulu. There was a time before Amazon Prime and all this stuff. Well, you know, you, you couldn't just go and, and uh, uh, watch a movie anytime you wanted. So I kept watching every year. And several years later, I saw this movie come on, and that's the movie it was. And I was thrilled. I got to see the whole thing. That movie is what made me such a big Jimmy Stewart fan. Jimmy Stewart, or the movie is about a family in, Virgi in, uh, family in Virginia that is doing their all-out best to try to stay out of and not get involved in the Civil War, which is closing in all around them on all sides. And they're very unsuccessful in doing that, no matter how hard they try. So, um, but he's, you know, Jimmy Stewart plays the, uh, 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 the patriarch of the family. He's a widower, and he's doing his, his all-out best to raise, I, I don't know how, what it was, six or eight or ten or twenty kids or something like that, to raise all his kids, and they're, they're pretty much grown now. He's doing his best to honor his late wife's wishes to bring them up uh, 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 as a Christian, a good Christian family, which means, you know, bringing them to, to making sure they're in church every week, and, you know, the, the, the bell goes off, and they all gather, have to get in the buggy and go to church, and and wear their Sunday best and all that, and, and uh, you know, grace before meals, you know, all the time, and that's, you know, all, all of that. <clears throat> I want to play a clip from the movie where the family sits down at a typical meal, and Charlie Anderson, played by Jimmy Stewart, leads them in saying grace. Can we have that clip? Lord, we cleared this land. We plowed it, sowed it, and harvested. We cooked the harvest. It wouldn't be here. We wouldn't be eating it if we hadn't done it all ourselves. We worked dog bone hard for every crumb and morsel, but we thank you just the same anyway, Lord, for this food we're about to eat. Amen. <laughs> all right. I love that clip. I love that clip. I mean, he's giving thanks for the food, right? <clears throat> Isn't he? Is he really? <laughs> yeah, trick question. I mean, really, um, you know, basically saying, Lord, we thank you for this food because I know we're supposed to, but if we hadn't done all the work ourselves, we wouldn't be eating it right now, so thanks for nothing. Really? That's kind of the gist of his prayer. It's pretty much what he says. His prayer betrays an attitude of self-sufficiency. Like, we did it all ourselves, and that's all we need. We're okay. You know, I'm okay. I don't need help. I did it all myself, that, that kind of attitude. And we talked about that a few weeks ago um, <clears throat> when we began this series titled, What Would Jesus Undo? Not what would he do, but what would Jesus undo? What are those things that break Jesus' heart when he sees them in his children? Last week, we talked about hypocrisy. <clears throat> excuse me, which is when we pretend to be something that we're not. And we said that this is a place where, you know, it's safe to take off your mask and to be who you are, and we will love you for who you are. You can just be yourself. Um, we may not agree with everything. We may not agree with your choices. We may not agree with everything you believe. You may not agree with us, but we will love you just the same and you are free to be yourself. Uh, the week before that, 
we talked about hollow worship, when we go through the motions of worship, but our heart's not in it. You know, our mouth may be moving, but our heart's not stirred. Uh, uh, our worship, you know, we, we said it, it needs to be passionate. God wants it to be passionate worship and rooted in Jesus, not in our feelings or our circumstances. And the week before that, we began the series talking about spiritual indifference, Spiritual indifference, and um, spiritual indifference is often rooted in an attitude of, like we just talked about, an attitude of self-sufficiency. I'm okay. I don't need help. I'm, you know, I can pull myself up by my bootstraps. I'm, you know, I'm really, I I don't need anyone else. That's self-sufficiency. The root of self-sufficiency is spiritual pride, and that's what I want to talk about today as we wrap up this series, asking, what would Jesus undo? Jesus would undo spiritual pride. Start by looking at a story that Jesus told and said in Luke chapter 18. Oh, yes, thank you. Luke chapter 18, starting verse 9. Then Jesus told this story. To some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. Now, to start with, we're told the group of people that Jesus is telling this story to. Uh, he's talking to self-righteous, judgmental people. Right? I would ask you if you know anybody like that, but I don't want you to raise your hands because I don't want you to put you in a place where you would have to judge somebody else. But <clears throat> Jesus is talking to self-righteous, judgmental people. They were confident that they were good people. And they viewed themselves as better than anyone else. And so, so verse 10, Jesus said, Two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee. The other was a despised tax collector. You know, kind of like that. Right? That's how the people viewed tax collectors. You'd be hard-pressed to get any more of a contrast between groups of people than the Pharisees who prided themselves in following the letter uh, or the law to a T, every single detail, and tax collectors, on the other hand, who were seen as cheats and sinners. I mean, you didn't get much lower than that. Verse 11, <clears throat> the Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I'm not like other people, cheaters, sinners, adulterers. I'm certainly not like that tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I give you a tenth of all my income. Wow. That's a perfect example of spiritual pride does all the right things. Look at me, God. Look at me. I'm, you know, I, I, I'm fasting. Boy, is, I'm, I'm, I'm hungry, but I'm fasting for you, Lord. And I'm faithful to give my tithe every week. And Lord, I hope you notice I'm not doing the things like, you know, all those other people are doing. I'm better than that. I'm respectable. Thank you, God, that I'm not like them. I mean, I'm better than that. You're lucky to have me on your team. 
You know, like we said before, it's not that the things being done are wrong things. It's the heart that's the issue. It's the heart that's not right. And if the heart's not right, nothing is. This Thanksgiving weekend, this weekend is all about being grateful and all about showing gratitude, something we should do every single day, day in and day out of our lives, all day long, all year long, not just on a holiday, but spiritual pride and gratitude are two things that cannot coexist. See, the spiritually proud heart says, aren't you lucky I'm here? What would you do without me? I'm here to save the day, God. I'm your guy. Spiritually proud heart says, thank you, Lord, for the blessings that I have worked so hard to earn. I certainly deserve them, don't I? Looks at other people and other whole groups of people and says, I'm better than them. Or if it doesn't actually say it, at least that's the attitude of the heart. A grateful heart's the opposite. A grateful heart says, thank you, Lord, for giving me the opportunity to approach you because I certainly don't deserve it. Thank you, Lord, for giving me the opportunity to serve you. I did nothing to deserve it, but I appreciate it. What can I do now? How can I serve now? How can I, what, what, what can I do, Lord? See, the spiritually proud heart is interested in position and status and how it looks to other people. <clears throat> it's more interested in being served than it is in serving others. That's a spiritually proud heart. <laughs> when I first started in ministry, probably 35 plus years ago or however long it's been, I had a license. I had a piece of paper that said I was a minister of the gospel. I was young, didn't have a clue what I was doing, but I had a paper that said I was a minister of the gospel. And I was in a church organization where all of the, 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 uh, the, the pastors, the ministers, and the elders sat up on the platform. All right? You ever been in one of those churches? They're all sitting up on the platform over here. And I was so proud when I was invited to sit up with the important people. Never mind, I was in a little storefront that, you know, with folding chairs, and, and, but we had a platform that was this high. And, and I, I, I remember I was invited to sit in one of the comfy chairs up front. My suit, my tie. Yeah, I had arrived. <laughs> I felt important. I felt like I was somebody. And I was. I was somebody who was filled with spiritual pride but thank god he delivered me from that as i came into the vineyard god changed my heart and i couldn't give a rip anymore about titles about position um i just want god to use me i want him to do with me whatever whatever he can and i mean that i i, I just want to see him change lives and if he'll let me be a part of that i want to be a part of it now, if you go into my office, clear off all the clutter off my desk, you'll find a nameplate. You know what the nameplate says? Some guy named Dave. <laughs> Seriously. 
<sighs> See, God's changed my heart, and it doesn't matter whether I'm preaching, and I'd love to share the gospel, but it doesn't matter if I'm preaching or if I'm mopping bathroom floors. As long as I get to serve in some way, I'm happy. I'm happy. Spiritual pride robs you of that. When you're full of spiritual pride, instead of seeing the good things in your life as a gift from God, you begin to see yourself as a gift to God. God, you're so lucky to have me on your side. The kingdom of God is going to advance so much because of my efforts, because of my gifting, because of what I do. Doesn't take long to get that knocked out of you. See, spiritual pride promises three things. It promises self-sufficiency. I've got what it takes. I don't need anyone's help. I've got this. I don't need anyone's advice. I know what's best. Spiritual pride promises self-importance. Things would fall apart around here without me. I mean, what would everyone do if I wasn't here? And spiritual pride promises self-exaltation. Look at me. I'm better than that person. I'm more talented. I'm more gifted. I'm better dressed, better looking. Never fell for that one. Got, what was that? Now I'm stretching. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> see, you get knocked down real quick. <laughs> With spiritual pride, you see, everything is about me. Everything is about self. I want people to see me. I'm the focus. That's, that's spiritual pride. The problem with that is when we're full of ourselves, there's no room for God. The more we're full of ourselves, there is no room for God. Let's pick up our story with the Pharisee and the tax collector. Look at the Pharisee's prayer. and then uh, or We've looked at the Pharisee's prayer, and now we're going to look at the tax collector's prayer. Verse 13. But the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, O oh God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. The Pharisee's prayer was all full of all the good things that he did. And his attitude was, after all I've done for you, I deserve for you to answer my prayer. You should be grateful for me. Whereas the tax collector's attitude was the opposite. He was fully aware that he didn't deserve anything. He wasn't asking for justice. He was asking for mercy. The Pharisee was all about himself. See, when John the Baptist came in the scene and he started preaching that people should repent and be baptized, and you know, he developed quite a following. People, you know, flocking to him to hear him preach and, and to you know gather around him. And then Jesus comes along. And when Jesus began his ministry, people started following after him. And some of the, John's disciples began, you know, pointing something out to John and saying, look, you know, all the people that, that you know, they're all starting to follow Jesus now. What are you going to do about it? I mean, if everybody goes after Jesus, you're not going to have any disciples left. What are we going to do about this? And, and John answered them by saying, that's the whole point. 
It's not about me. It's about Jesus. I'm just here to point to him. He must become greater and greater. I must become less and less. We must become less of, because, less of ourselves because when we're full of ourselves, there's no room for God. But when we empty ourselves, we're in the perfect position to be filled by God's grace. When we empty ourselves, we are in the perfect position to be filled by God's grace. When something is filled, say you've got a bucket or a vase, some kind of vessel, when something is, is, uh, uh, is filled, there's no room for anything else to fit in it. And the Pharisee came to, it came to God full of himself, full of himself, full of his accomplishments, full of his good works, full of his own righteousness, his own goodness. There's no room for God because there was way too much of himself. But when a vessel is empty, then it's just ready and waiting to be filled. The good news is that that's good news for anyone who came in here this morning feeling empty. If you came in here this morning feeling empty, if you came in here this morning feeling like you're spent, if you came in here this morning feeling like you've nothing left to give, it's when we get to that place, the place of emptiness, that God can pour his grace into our lives and continue to pour it in. You just have to know where to go to get filled. Hebrews 4.16 tells us that in our time of weakness, in our time of emptiness, when we're depleted of our own strength and depleted of our own resources, that's when we are to come boldly or come with, with confidence, not in, not in our own sufficiency, not confidence in ourselves, not, you know, but, uh, but, but, but confidence in His faithfulness. We come boldly before the throne of our gracious God, says there we will receive his mercy we will find grace to help us when we need it most we'll be filled the apostle paul was suffering after being given a, a thorn in the flesh you know as he calls it you know different thoughts on what that is we really don't know but it was a, a, enough to make him continually go to god he went at least three times saying lord take this from me i don't want it anymore and god told him don't worry I'm going to give you, I'm going to pour my grace into you, and that's all you need. That's sufficient. That's all you're going to need, and I'm pouring my grace into you. The psalmist said, my help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Not from my own efforts, not my, from position, not from status, not from my own prideful thing, but comes from the Lord. See, being full of ourselves makes us think that we're enough. And if we're enough, then what do we need God for? Really. If we are enough, what do we need God for? And sometimes we can come into church like that, <laughs> thinking, well, I'm going because it's the right thing, but I'm doing okay by myself. It's when you're empty and you come to the place of acknowledging your need for God and by doing so, I mean, that, that, that's when God pours his grace into you. But spiritual pride stops you from acknowledging your need. And by doing so, blocks God's grace from your life.
That's why Peter and James, both of them, uh, you know, I was thinking, was this James who said that? And I, yeah, but Peter and James, both in their epistles, in their, in their letters, they both say God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Because the humble person is a person who acknowledges, God, I've got nothing left to offer to you. You see me, you know me. I've got nothing left to offer. That's the person that God gives grace to. The humble person is the one who comes to God empty. And he's, and he's the one who's in the position to be filled by God's grace. And that's when God can really use us. Because when we empty ourselves, it's number three, when we empty ourselves, we are in the perfect position to be used by God. Because then, it's all about Him. When you come to Jesus empty, that's when He can use you because then there's none of your own stuff to get in the way and to cloud things up. See, God's plan is to use you. And God's plan is to use every one of us in a greater way than we've ever imagined to accomplish His work. He wants to use us. He wants to work through us. But spiritual pride hinders that. Because pride is all about my glory and humility is all about God's glory. See, our lives are a reflection of God. Our lives let God's light shine through us. And the more we're filled with pride, the less we reflect the glory and the goodness of God, the less the glory and the goodness of God shine through us. Our lives are for the light of Jesus to shine through us, and the more pride gets in the way, it's like a cloudy film that just covers and blocks people from being able to see. I love to watch meteor showers. Anybody else? I love to watch meteor showers. When I hear, what is it, the, is it the Perseid, Perseid meteor showers or whatever, August 11th and 12th, is that the one? Or, or the Leonid, I forget when there are, but like August 11th and 12th, I think it is, our, 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 it, that's a big one. I love to go out my back deck and uh, uh, look up at the stars on that night and watch for meteors, shooting stars. And often when I go out, I look up and I just go right back in because there's clouds. Clouds are just covering everything. You know, in Indiana, we have a few clouds once in a while. Um, <laughs> but I remember one night a couple of years ago, I went out on our back deck and I looked up. walked out the door I'm looking up there's one there's one over there there's another one there's another one and then suddenly I'm just looking straight up like this you know making my neck do something it was never meant to do I'm looking straight up, and I'm, I'm, I'm facing south. I'm looking straight up with my back to the house. And as I'm looking straight up, suddenly, 
streaking over the front of the, 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 the top of the house and coming straight overhead, right where I was looking, is the largest, brightest, longest running meteor I have ever seen in my life. All these other were little flashes of light. This was like a blazing, you know, I, I felt like, I, I, I think weird things. I felt like it was a Volkswagen Beetle. You know, I mean, it was it, it, it was like this, you know, everything else was like a little matchbox car. This was like a Volkswagen Beetle, you know, and it just flew straight right where I was looking, not out of the corner of my eye. I was looking right at it from from north to south over the clear, clear over till it dropped down behind the trees and, and, and the other house. I mean, across the whole length of the sky. It was magnificent. It was wonderful. It was awesome. And there were no clouds blocking the view at all. It was the brightest and longest lasting meteor that I've ever seen with nothing hindering its sight. Matthew 5.16, Jesus said, Let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. The Apostle Paul said in Philippians 2.15, live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. What would Jesus undo? As Jesus looks at his church, his worldwide church, as he looks at his people, as he looks at the children he loves so much, what would he undo? He would undo spiritual indifference. He would undo hollow worship. He would undo hypocrisy. And he would undo spiritual pride. To the degree that those things are undone in the church, God's light and God's glory will shine through us, piercing the darkest of nights that anybody around us wouldn't help but to be able to notice the light of God in God's church. See, the reason that Jesus would undo all of these things is because they cloud. They cloud his glory and his light from a world that he so desperately wants to reveal himself to and is revealing himself to. I mean, think about it. You think of a meteor shower, those things are going off whether we see them or not, whether there's clouds or not. But it's only when the clouds are parted, when they're gone, when they're dissipated, that we see the light coming through. Like, you ever gone out to maybe a place where there's no light pollution? Maybe uh, Morgan Monroe Forest or something. Years ago when I was in school here, my roommate and I went out at Morgan Monroe Forest, and it was like 2 o'clock in the morning on a clear night, and we just looked up. Not only did we see the stars, we saw the Milky Way because there was nothing obstructing it. That's 
what God wants people to see when he sees us. So let's get rid of the clouds. Let's let Jesus undo in our hearts what he wants to undo. We have the worship team come up.